With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to episode Mike Comrie of the Cosmo Pointcast. I'm your host, Trevor Shackles. The 2021 playoffs are still going on, but that doesn't mean we can't look ahead towards a busy offseason for the Senators. And to talk about things like the expansion draft and other pieces of news, I have with me a friend of the show and a colleague of mine, Ross Arnold from Silver 7 Sands. Ross, how's it going? It's going good. How are you doing, Trevor? Yeah, good. Thanks for coming on. I think the last time you were on here was September 2017, so it's been quite a while, and I think it's fair to say that a lot has changed since then. And I guess, how would you characterize those changes over the years? Well, we went through some very dark times, right, of trading away everyone that the team loved and ownership gaslighting us a lot. And somehow this team has turned into maybe the most lovable iteration of the Ottawa Senators ever, that suddenly people are engaged and enjoying this team, even though it wasn't even that good last year. It's insane. Like I, I think you're right in the fact that it's it's the most lovable. They're obviously not the the best team that we've seen yet. Um, but yeah, you're right. I I think it was such a um, flip of the switch. Like in that first month, or I guess the first yeah, really the first month from like mid January to mid February, it was just so depressing. And then I think ever since then, you know, seeing guys like Kachuk and Stutzla and Norris and Batherson, all these kind of bromances and stuff like that, and other prospects doing well. I, I think it's this is an easy team to cheer for, sort of if you if you regard, disregard other things, but like the players themselves, um, you know, this is probably like the most fun we've had, I think, uh, in a long time. Yeah, a combination of young skill and probably, if we're being honest, a lack of expectations. Yes. <laughs> uh, makes it easier to enjoy every game because you can still say we lost, but there was that time that Brady got under somebody's skin or mm-hmm. there was a great move that Tim Stutzlip tried to pull and we can find the positives in every single game. And I'm curious to see what happens moving forward if the players are able to grow with our expectations. Absolutely. And like that's the that's the hardest step, right, is becoming an actual contender. And I think even I think next season there's going to be a lot of expectations. So that'll be interesting to follow. Um, just, you know, how people's mindset change whether it's like for, for wins or individual performances and things like that. But, um, you know, we, we can get a bit, bit into some of that stuff a bit later in the episode as well. But I wanted to start off with um, the playoffs thus far, um, as well as the Montreal Canadiens run. Now, first of all, like, how how is your bracket looking overall right now? The bracket's not looking great. I had a... Boston Colorado final so (laughs) clearly that didn't happen (laughs) yeah I projected that whoever won between Vegas and Colorado would win the Stanley Cup and obviously that didn't happen yeah 
it's it's been another good year of uh, bracket busters messing everything up. It's not quite like the Blue Jackets sweeping the Lightning a couple of years ago, <laughs> but it's still been pretty bad. Yeah, it's been crazy. I mean, I I think I had like the first. I think out of the first six series that were completed, I'm pretty sure I had five of them. And then ever since then, it's just been terrible. Uh, you know, I definitely did not see Montreal going this far. Um, I think I had Islanders out in like the second round. Um, similar to you, I had Colorado over, I think I had Colorado over, you know what? I might've had Colorado over Toronto in the final. So, um, okay. yeah, I mean, like I just thought it was going to be such an easy easy walk for Toronto, which honestly just makes their collapse even funnier. So, um, yes. Oh, I think (laughs) almost all of us had Toronto waltzing out of the North division. I think Mm -hmm. I might've actually had Edmonton beating Toronto in the second round, which is even funnier now looking back (laughs) that the team that got swept by the team that got swept. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the best, the best would have been if the Canadians had got swept by Vegas, because then it would have been like the ultimate sweep. It would have been you know, yes. <laughs> this team got swept by this team, et cetera, et cetera. But, yeah. but I, I guess it's a reminder that I don't want to say anything can happen in the playoffs mm-hmm. because that's not quite true. And that's been a bad message that management's been taken home. But you can't, you have to be careful about what part of the season you extrapolate that Montreal kind of limped into the playoffs. But it's clear they weren't that team. They were a team that had started the year a lot better than how they finished the season. And I guess it's also a reminding that reminder that goaltending is a lot in the playoffs. And Carey Price turning back the clock five years has really, really benefited Montreal. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think that's like the main reason why they're this far, right? It's Price is not like in the re- in the regular season over the past few years, he's not this Price that we've seen in the playoffs, right? And I feel like goaltending is so random, and he's just been sensational um he's obviously capable of this even last year he was he was quite solid for them so you know i think that and like the combination of caulfield and and kakinami and suzuki all these all these young guys coming up um but like as as a senators fan for you what has it been like watching them go this far and and being the first canadian team to even reach the finals in 10 years Uh, i wouldn't have wanted montreal to be the team to do that (laughs) i also wouldn't have wanted toronto to be the team to do that i yeah, I've been trying to explain. I don't, yeah, if people don't know, I live in Los Angeles now. And so I'm explaining hockey to most of the people that I know here and trying to say, no, I don't cheer for the team that's very close to <laughs> where I grew up and the team that I cheer for because I find most of their fans insufferable and they will be so much more insufferable if the Canadians win the Stanley Cup. It's in some ways, it's a nice story that. It's fun to look at a guy like Carey Price, who has never really had a team when he was the greatest goaltender in the world. He didn't have a team that could keep up with him on that level. Yeah. And it's nice for a guy like him to have this push. It is amazing to see a guy like Cole Caulfield come out of college, get a handful of NHL games under his belt and be so critical to their run now. Um, And no guys in theory guys like Corey Perry and Eric Stahl like finding a a renaissance on a otherwise relatively young team late in their careers could be a good story it's just it's all happening with Montreal and I will never I will never be excited about that <laughs> absolutely I'm I'm right there with you I think the players themselves there's not that many guys that I'm annoyed with besides Brendan Gallagher and Corey Perry Gallagher. you know those are the two guys that are just like 
you know, you're not going to like them. I mean, Gallagher is pretty much very similar to Brady Kachuk. Like he's a oh, guy exactly. that, yeah, he's a guy that you're, you love to have, but you know, you're going to hate to play against. Um, we saw it, yeah. you know, last night against Tampa Bay, but like, I don't know. There, there's a lot of these guys on this team that are easy to root for. I mean, Suzuki, Caulfield, Kakaniemi, like even Jeff Petrie. I mean, there's a lot of individual players that I totally wouldn't mind seeing win yeah. the cup, but it's like, oh, it's mainly the fan base, right? Like you just don't want your Montreal Canadiens um, fan friends, you know, rubbing it in your face. And, and just the fact that they can say, or if they do win, the fact that they could say that they're the first Canadian team to win since 93, right? I mean, that's that's what every Canadian yeah. hockey team is is trying to go for here. And yeah. I really don't want them to break that streak. For the hashtag twenty four cups to turn into hashtag twenty five cups, God. I yeah, I I wouldn't want that. Yeah, it, it's it's just not going to be fun. I mean, so we're we're recording this uh, the day after game one, so Tampa's up one to nothing, and I feel pretty confident that Tampa's going to win. But I mean, at the same time, I I felt the same way last series when Vegas, because Vegas was up one nothing, I believe, right? Yeah, I think they were. Yep. And Vegas pretty well dominated the first three games of that series. Montreal yeah. won game two, but they didn't, like, Carey Price held them in it. And then Marc-Andre Fleury, essentially scoring on himself with a minute and a half left in game three, seemed to completely change the series. That after that, Vegas just, I don't know, it's like they they went from doubling Montreal's shots per game to falling behind every game. Yeah. I mean, can you... I I was struggling to think of an answer to this but like can you think of a worse team like if Montreal does win can you think of a worse team to win the Stanley Cup in like you know the last 20-30 years not really because there's a couple of examples you can think of of a team that like if you think of uh if you think of the Kings in 2012 right Mm -hmm. that were like an eighth seed that just barely made the playoffs but they were a team that really really underperformed their roster yeah. and pulled it together in the playoffs and they dominated right yeah like they they looked unstoppable as soon as the playoffs started and so it's you know this Habs team is definitely worse than that Kings team I think we would both agree about that yeah. um, people also I mean always the go-to people pull out is when Carolina won their cup but that but that Carolina team was a like they had an over a hundred point regular season. Yeah, they exactly. were not a slouch of a team. <laughs> so no, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I, I mean, how I, I was only born in 96, but someone was mentioning that the 95 devils were kind of similar team. And so who knows, maybe they were, but they definitely didn't have a great record either. But man, if it, if it was, you know, 26 years, um, like the, when the last time I, a team this bad won the cup, that's, uh, that's going to be pretty crazy if they do end up winning, but uh, I don't want to live in that world. So <laughs> I don't feel ashamed to say that I'm hoping Tampa wins, partly because there are players on Tampa that I like. I find Nikita Kucherov amazing to watch every time he has the puck. He's just mm-hmm. incredible talent. But a big part of it is also just I don't want Montreal to win. And yes, there will be a repeat cup winner. Yes, it's a team that used a bunch of cap loopholes to try and keep this team together. I don't care. I don't want Montreal to win. Absolutely. I'm I'm right there with you. (laughs) Now, about a week ago, there was some strange news regarding the Senators Foundation, and it was announced that Chris Phillips was stepping down. Phillips has declined to comment, um, but there's been a lot of speculation so far. What do you think actually happened here, and how does this look for the organization? 
Well, it's probably the story that's happened with a bunch of things, which was a disagreement and vision between Phillips and Eugene Melnick. Hmm. I don't know if it was directly between them or if it was people that Melnick has hired who were then passing on his wishes that Phillips disagreed with. But I think the same way we've seen a lot of players who are passionate about this city, who are passionate about the fan base, get alienated. Um, probably Chris Phillips decided it was time to distance himself. And I mean, it also doesn't look good that a year ago they pushed out their charity because they didn't like them anymore and started their own charity. And so, yeah, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if it was just Chris Phillips saying, you know, I thought I was, I thought I was signing up for a charity that was going to do meaningful things and Mm -hmm. I'm not convinced that's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't really know how you could look at it any other way. I mean, so I, I I believe it was Ian Mendez who tried to reach out to Phillips and he just kind of said no comment. And to me, I mean, that's a bit odd, right? Like you would, if there was like a, a rational reason for saying like, oh, you know, I just kind of want to spend more time with my family. I just want to be retired and such, you know, he, he would say that, right? I just, the no comment makes it seem like there's something fishy going on, not necessarily from Phillips. Um, but yeah, like, I, I think you're spot on with that. That's, that's, you know, probably the most likely scenario. I don't want people to listen to this episode and, and, um, think that, you know, we know all the details and we absolutely know the answers and everything, but, you know, based on previous things that have happened with the organization, that seems like the most likely. Yes. That remember yeah you know Eugene Melnick has managed to alienate Daniel Alfredson more than once yep and I never thought I would see the day that Chris Phillips would say I don't want official ties to this organization anymore because he's I mean he gave his whole career to this team Mm -hmm. and then he did a lot after retirement as well even without having an official role of just still being an ambassador to the community and so for him to then say no I'm out and like you said no comment speaks volumes because it's like he didn't even try to come up with another reason why he left. Yeah. I mean, I, I just hope he'll at least be able to tangentially be involved with the club somehow. You know, it seems like he loves the city. seems like he wants to be involved in, in some fashion. Um, so, you know, hopefully if there were any bridges burned, like hopefully those can be mended. But it's just another player that you know, has, has left the organization under some strange circumstances. So I'm sure we'll hear more about that in the near future, maybe the next few months even. Yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah, I don't know if we'll ever get the whole story. Yeah, And I don't know if we ever need to get the whole story. Like you were saying, we're speculating. I don't have any insider sources. I don't have anything that could tell me otherwise. But it, it says a lot to me that... Um, partially these retired players and also a bunch of the guys that Ottawa's traded like Mark Stone and Kyle Turris and stuff still come back to Ottawa in the summers that so many of these guys want Ottawa to be their home that it says, okay, Chris Phillips will find a way to be involved in something that matters to him. Even if it's not officially with the senators, he will still be uh, an important part of this community and someone that the fan base can get excited about, even if it's not at team sanctioned events. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think he'll always be in Ottawa. So, you know, he'll, he'll be around at least. Um, now the, the main focus for this episode is regarding the upcoming expansion draft for the Seattle Kraken on July 21st. 
I want to just go over the potential list for the sends. So I guess let's start from the net outwards. Um, and net, who are you protecting? There's either Matt Murray, Joey Decord, or Philip Gustafson. I'll be protecting Philip Gustafson if it's up to me. I know that was, I basically had the same answer that Kevin Lee gave you a month ago. Right. That he is the youngest. He projects to be probably the most likely to be a high skill starter. Um, really between Gustafson and Decord is a, is a coin flip. I don't think based on recent history that Seattle's going to take Matt Murray if you don't protect him. So I, I think that would be a waste of a spot. So yeah, I would pick Gustafson. I wouldn't be upset if they protected Decord instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think with Murray, I think he'd be happy if, if he gets taken, to be honest, like, you know, obviously he, he was definitely better down the stretch um you know in his last I don't know how many starts was maybe five six starts or whatever um but at the same time I mean he's signed for big money over the next three years so I'd you know like you said I'd be shocked if Seattle took him and then also like with Decord too I mean he has a pretty both Decord and Gustafson have these small track records but Gustafson did a bit better in those nine games he was phenomenal and and he is two years younger than Decord so you know I I think it's I think it'd be hard to protect Decord over over Gustafson and Bruce Garriak did report something about a couple weeks ago kind of indicating that they might be leaning towards Gustafson and I think that'd be the right choice so it seems like we're on the same page there yeah and always with guys without a proven NHL track record when you're talking about guys who have a handful of NHL games I think also pedigree comes into it and when you look at Gustafson as a high draft pick and Joey Decord as a seventh round draft pick that will play in whether or not it should absolutely yeah and you know former first round picks and higher picks always get more chances so um wouldn't be surprised there now on defense there's obviously like Artem Zub Eric Branstrom and JBD are exempt um so who are your three picks for um guys who are eligible well there's, I mean, you have Shabbat and Mete for sure, for sure that you're right. protecting. And then after that, <laughs> it, there's really no one you have to protect. <laughs> I would, I would not want to protect um, Zaitsev on the off chance that they decide that they need someone like him. I can't see Zaitsev being taken, but you want to take that chance, I guess. Honestly, if you have to use a third spot, maybe you just do Golubev because he's a UFA anyway, and then hmm. you don't worry about it. I don't know. I When the choices are Zaitsev or Brown are the only defensemen that have to be protected, I don't see the need to protect either of them. That's very fair, yeah. I mean, Shabbat and Mete are the obvious choices there. Mete was quite solid down the stretch. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people protect Zaitsev, and I, and I did a few polls last week um, with my followers about who they would protect, and Zaitsev have barely edged out uh, Josh Brown, so it seems like a fair amount of people would protect him. But like you said, you know, he's signed for the next three years at four point five million. So like, I'd rather, you know, if Seattle wants to take that contract, I'll I'll let them. I, I'm not I'm not really sold on Zaitsev being, especially in the top four, um, but even even on the bottom pairing. So yeah, I mean, Josh Brown, yeah, he's all right, but you know, maybe maybe they do protect a guy like Golubev just because they don't care about Brown. So we'll see, but yeah. I don't think it would really Al- matter. Always with these exercises, there's the what 
will happen versus what do you want right. to happen. And I'm almost for sure thinking that they're going to protect Zaitsev. Absolutely. That Absolutely. he's been a big part of the top four, even though you and I would both agree that he's been misused in that role. Yeah, so for the last couple of years, Zaitsev has been used in that spot. And it's not like there was really a better option on the team that they've just been really, yeah. really thin on right D. But just because a guy is your best option for a spot doesn't mean he's actually a good option for that spot. Absolutely. Yeah. And they were talking him up a lot, I guess, about a month ago now when the, when the season ended or a month and a half ago. Um, so, yeah, it seems like we're kind of going through a similar thing like we did with with Cody CC, where they're um, using him a lot more than they should. But moving on to forward. So I'm going to assume that Kachuk, Batherson, Connor Brown and Nick Paul are locks. They seem to be pretty certain there. That leaves three spots open for six players with, well, conceivably six players, really, uh, in Logan Brown, Colin White, Evgeny Dadnov, Austin Watson, Chris Tierney, and I guess even Vitaly Abramov, if you want to include him. So which three are you keeping from that group? That's, I mean, mine would be Colin White, and honestly, probably Logan Brown for sure, just because I feel like those are the ones with the most upside. I... I, because I think Kevin picked Abramov, right? He might have, but that might have been that. that was, right. I think that was before he signed. Before he went back to Russia. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, I kind of with Dadanov, I feel similar to how I felt with Zaitsev. That it's like, or even with Murray, that it's like if Seattle wants to take that contract, I don't feel bad about it. We know Dadanov is better than we saw this past season, but he did show that he's probably not the player that he was three years ago in Florida either. So I'm fine with him on the team, but I wouldn't worry about exposing him. Um, yeah, but probably, probably my protection would be Dadanov, White and uh, Logan Brown. And it, it always amazes me doing this exercise, how, how easy it feels for Ottawa compared to last time. Yeah. Because last time it was really, is there any way they can keep Mark Mathot with Carlson? Right, yeah. And then, you know, Phaneuf uh, didn't want to waive his, I guess it was his yep. no move clause. And yeah, so obviously had to lose Mathot for that. Which, honestly, in the end, it wasn't the end of the world. I think he really only had like one more season after that. But yeah, I think I would go with the same list as, as you on forward. Like, I think... I think you just have to move on from Brown in the offseason. Like, I would just trade him after you protect him. Like, I just am not confident he's going to ever stay healthy for a season. Like, he literally hasn't stayed healthy, you know, even since his first season in the OHL. So, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, very down on him right now. But, you know, him, White, and Dadnov have like the most upside out of anyone. So it's more like a process of elimination for me. I'm, I'm looking at Watson, you know, okay. He, he was solid player this year, like on the fourth line, very replaceable though. You can find that guy in free agency any, any day. Um, you know, maybe you trade a mid round pick for him like they did last summer or last off season. And then Abramov, I highly doubt he's being taken Tierney, very redundant. And then at that point you're, you know, you're pretty much left with white dad and, and uh and brown there so i i do think i agree that that dadnov i mean he could look just as bad as he did 
this past season. Like he, he definitely, I'm not definitely not going to, um, you know, defend him on, on how he played this season, but I do think he has some potential to bounce back. And I think that would look really bad on Dorian. If the Kraken took him, he scores 50 points and he's like in the top six for Seattle and, you know, and, and then free agents might not look at Ottawa as, as fondly as well. Right. Like, Oh, you signed this guy for three years, and after just one year, you kind of gave up on him. So, um, I don't know. I think, I guess there's some upside if you lose Dadnov, like you free some money, I guess. But I don't know. I mean, they only have two years left on his contract. Yeah, actually, that's a very good point. I hadn't thought about that about the free agency thing. But I know Ottawa's already not a prime destination for, for sure. free agents. Maybe it shows that. Ottawa has a bit of loyalty to its players if you protect the guy that you signed a year ago and say, you know what, he had a down year, but we're still going to protect him because we believe that he is the guy he was two years ago rather than the guy he was in a COVID-shortened, suddenly move into a new place, have to learn a new system, learn yeah. new teammates, everything year. I I don't know if I'm allowed to ask questions on this, but I was going to ask if you do trade Logan Brown, what do you think the return is? Well, I mean, my follow-up was going to be related to Brown as well. So, I mean, yeah, we can just talk about him in general. I I don't know. I wouldn't expect much. I mean, maybe a third-round pick. You know, you saw, I think last year, Leas Anderson went from the Rangers to the Kings for a second. Uh, I think Anderson was a bit younger, though. So, I, I yeah, maybe a third-round pick or maybe some sort of, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head, but like another reclamation project. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do you, do you see his values any different than that? No, I, yeah. Like if you could get a second form, you probably do it. Then that, that turns into the Curtis Lazar thing, right? Oh, yeah. That somehow you trade this guy because of the fact that he was a big name at one point and, they turned Lazar into Formanton, right? Yeah. That was the second round pick. Yep. So that ended up being a great deal for Ottawa. Absolutely. But if the best you can get for Logan Brown is a fourth round pick or something, is it not better to just keep him in the system and say, maybe he'll figure it out here because we're better off having a guy who at least is a, like a middle six center in Belleville than having a fourth round pick that probably won't develop until our window with these good guys is closed anyway for sure yeah and i i kind of go back and forth on this like i was very staunchly in the camp earlier in the year like at the beginning of the season of you know give brown a chance and i still like they still didn't really give him a chance like he played that one game the last game of the season um so you know i'd still like him to get a chance but i don't know at the same time like he's he's got to hold up his his end of the bargain right um, you know, he hasn't been, been able to stay healthy. I do wonder, though, what that point of, you know, you're saying, like, okay, it's not even worth it if you just get a fourth, right? Like, I wonder where it's like, okay, it's not worth it for the pick, but maybe a second or third is worth it um, for, for dealing him. So, like, like you're right. If it was just a fourth, I probably, I don't know, I probably don't do that because that's not really, I don't know, you could find fourth-round picks anywhere. So, it, it's tough. I don't know. I mean, he's going to be running out of, of playing time, too. There's going to be lots of other guys coming into Belleville, taking over his spot. So it's uh, it's tough for him. Yeah, it's true. And I mean, this has been 
such a strange season anyway because it's true i think we all wanted to see logan brown given a chance but they decided that he should play in belleville but belleville didn't play for the first yeah. month of ottawa season and then by the time he did he got hurt and i think we would have seen a lot more of him in ottawa down the stretch if he wasn't continually hurt and even his coming up from belleville they only did that i'm pretty sure because it was the last game of the season and they mm-hmm. wanted him to have an nhl game that it was in their ideal world, if there were 10 NHL games left, they might have waited five more of them before calling him up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So he didn't really get a shot, but that also had to do with just him being hurt. And then the weirdness of how the AHL and the NHL lined up. I don't know. I do wonder with like when there was the full season lockout, how many players ended up just retiring after that because they couldn't really recover their careers and mostly that was older guys but i do wonder if there's going to be guys like logan brown who prospects that could have turned into at least decent nhlers maybe more of like a power play specialist kind of guy but essentially missing more than a year of regular hockey just means that that's never going to happen for him yeah it's a good point i mean it's that's a massive amount of time of development and yeah, I, I honestly don't see how he's going to get that time. I think ideally he could be a pretty solid like third line power play specialist kind of guy. But yeah, I, th- I think that'd have to be yeah. somewhere else. And I'd be I'd be pretty surprised if he was still on or is it like still in the Senators organization by, you know, the end of October or something like that. But yeah, I I kind of feel like he will be just because I don't know if there's going to be much demand for him. Fair. And the only the only way I can see is that if he's put in with someone else in a trade, that if it's Logan Brown plus better things, you know, when when Ottawa acquires, you know, Jack Eichel and Matthew Kachuk <laughs> in the same week, then Logan Brown's part of one of those trades. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because I was even checking. I was trying to remember what... So he played 940 in the last game of the season. And it's pretty hard to evaluate a guy on 10 minutes of NHL time total in a year. He... Uh, I remember... Because he, he should have had an assist in that uh, yes. in the first period on the power play that he made a nice pass. But to say the guy made one nice pass in 10 minutes, I can't evaluate anything from that. No, it's... it's... It's an insanely small sample, so it's, you know, it's pretty pointless. But anyway, I think we've talked so, like, not just me and you, but, you know, Senators fans in general have have talked so much about Logan Brown, especially over the past year specifically. And I think people are getting pretty sick of him. He's very divisive. So, um, (laughs) and, and a big reason why I think we were getting sick of him or he's divisive or whatever is because josh norris had such a great rookie season yeah yeah and there was very much the question of do you go with norris the guy who didn't have quite the same pedigree but then had great time in college and a great rookie ahl season can he keep this up in the nhl or do you go for the guy who looked better younger but has struggled more but might have more offensive upside and i think all of us came away from this season saying you know what josh norris maybe he's not He's not ever going to be a top 10 center in the league, but he is a very, very good NHL player. And so we don't need to worry about Logan Brown as much. Absolutely. You know, Norris, fantastic rookie season. So, um, 
Yeah. Anyway, mo moving on now to other parts of the expansion draft. And I'm not sure if you've done an expansion draft exercise on Cat Friendly, which is super fun to do. But like, have you gotten a sense of how good this Kraken team either could or should be? I mean, I think they'll be... I, I don't think they'll be as good as Vegas. We'll, we'll see. I've, yeah, I've done it casually a couple times. And sometimes I go through it specifically with fans of a specific team and say, okay, who do you think you're going to lose in this? Who do you think Vegas would then take? or I guess Seattle would then take. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it really comes down to how the NHL GMs think. Because if you think about the last expansion draft, both Vegas would have been worse and a lot of teams would have been better if the GMs had just stood pat. If they'd said, you know what, we're going to lose one player that I wish I could keep. But instead you have Florida giving <laughs> Riley Smith and Jonathan Marcheseau to them. You have Anaheim giving up Shea Theodore. There's, yeah, it ends up being this exercise in how well do GMs understand the fringes of their rosters. Absolutely. I mean, that was going to be one of my questions is just if you think Seattle, um, or sorry, if you think GMs will be able to learn their lessons from last time, um, or do you think they'll be able to exploit those teams? So, I mean, what's your what's your hunch? Do you think they're going to be able to you know, pull off a, I don't know if they'll be able to pull off a Marsha Stone Smith again, but like maybe they pull out a, a guy like William Carlson. Like, what do you think? Do you think uh, these GMs are just going to make the same mistakes? I think they will make some of the same mistakes, probably not quite as many. Just, I think some will learn their lesson of, oh, it probably looks better to um, say we had to lose a better player than we would have liked than to potentially give away something better. But yeah, I think there's definitely going to be guys like William Carlson out there that are being underused. I I mean, I feel like Seattle's early investment in analytics means that they'll probably have a good chance of finding some of these guys that it's like they're getting third, fourth line minutes, but they could be mm -hmm. a top six forward if you gave them a better chance. And, you know, there always will be good players out there that people are saying, you know, they're probably going to get like Matt Dumba and stuff like that. Like guys who will be solid NHL players anyway. Yeah. And it, it you know, there's always going to be those guys that are <clears throat> underused. And from the list that I've seen, it seems like they should be pretty solid on D and, and net as well. And like not too much star power up front. But I mean, then again, we said the same thing about Vegas and they had, you know, pretty solid top six, even in their first season. Um, I'm not sure if you have people off the top of your head, but like, is there anyone who potentially stands out to you that might not be able to be protected? Um, other than, well, I mean, I said Dumba there. I don't, I don't have any other names off the top of my head. I mean, Carolina's going to lose one of their, whatever you want to call them, their bunch of jerks, their cast of misfits. Yeah. Like one of the guys who is, sneaky good i guess probably someone like like i saw one projection that was saying warren fogel yeah might yeah, be the guy that good. they claim and it's like exactly he's a guy who's no one there aren't a lot of people going out buying fogel jerseys but he's the kind of guy that any team with cup aspirations wants absolutely yeah and you know i just put down a list of, of goalies that are available and it seems like oh yeah they should be able to get someone like quite solid like they should have a, a good tandem i mean 
There's guys like Aiden Hill, Vitek Vanacek, Tristan Jari, yeah. potentially, um, Antti Ranta, Pavel Fransuz, Anton Hudobin, Chris Drieger, Cam Talbot. Like, maybe, maybe yeah. not all those guys are available, but probably most of them are. So I'd be shocked if their goaltending isn't yeah. solid next year. Yeah. And that's part of why I find it funny when Sens fans get all up in arms about whether we're protecting <laughs> Gustafsson or Decord or Murray, because I'm saying I don't think they're going to pick a goalie, that there's so many goalies available out there. They probably aren't going to go after a prospect who has fewer than 10 NHL games under their belt, that there's just yep. better, more logical options for a starting off franchise to pick. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that you know it looks quite solid like not all those guys are extremely um proven necessarily but yeah there's there's some good options and then even um amongst forward and d like some other guys that stood out to me ryan graves vince dunn um jvr tj oshi potentially like travis dermott mason appleton mm-hmm. yanni gore jason zucker matt dumba those are like kind of the top guys that i was i was looking at and you know none of those guys are stars they sort of fit the similar mold that a lot of the Vegas guys did, but there's some real talent yeah. there, it looks like. And I'm curious about a couple of the the prospects that people have wondered if they should have got more of a chance. Someone like uh like Oliver Shillington in Calgary. Yeah. yeah. That is he because I wouldn't be surprised if they picked him. And then if he's given a chance to be a genuine top four defenseman, does he does he fill into that role or do we find out that, you know what, he was kind of a bust compared to what his draft projection was because part of it with vegas is that there were guys like william carlson that no they hit on a bunch of these will they sink or swim when we give them more minutes nate schmidt exactly because people were saying you know he looks good in washington in a sheltered role will he look good if we put him in a difficult role and he did yeah and it's you know i i'm not gonna be surprised one bit if if some of these guys really take their game to the next level because like you said you know they're heavily investing in analytics um you know i uh, see i can't remember her, her last name but namita nm stats oh, yeah. on twitter she's she's hired yes. by seattle you know she worked for the philadelphia eagles um for the for the nfl and extremely smart person like they have a, a huge team there and i think just beyond like the actual players i love what they've been doing um, with like who they're hiring. And, you know, they're not just hiring all these white men, these, these guys that have been around the game forever. They're actually hiring some, you know, diverse people. And um, it seems like they're just building like a a very cool culture there. So it might be kind of hard to hate this franchise. Oh yeah. And I mean, everything from them being the first NHL team to sign the black girl hockey club, get up to having the climate pledge arena too. Yeah, I, I also couldn't remember Namita's last name, so I uh, googled her, Namita Nandakumar. But yes, <laughs> exactly. I was like, that's a that was an incredible um, transaction by them, getting her, because they said, yeah, she w- is the kind of person that you would want going into an expansion draft. And yeah, I feel like we'll, we'll see what happens once they actually have an NHL team, but I feel like they've done a very good job of cultivating goodwill before they've even entered the league and yeah like you said not just hiring old hockey men but saying you know there's actual other smart brains about that out there maybe even people who didn't play in the nhl that are worth hiring yeah exactly and you know personally for me living in vancouver it'll be great to you know i i will definitely go down to 
to a game when Ottawa comes to Seattle and you know that'll be that'll be pretty fun like I go down there probably like once a year in non-COVID years for for a Mariners game and stuff like that so it'll be fun to to head down there and, and watch a hockey game but um yeah I, I'm pretty excited and that, that'll be on July 21st is the expansion draft so um should be fun yeah that's that's not far yeah it's not far <laughs> so lastly a few weeks ago, it was announced that Troy Mann was re-signed for two years as, as Belleville's head coach, and DJ Smith also has one year left on his deal, and the Senators reportedly also stopped the Sabres from interviewing assistant coach Jack Capuano. What do you think of the coaching situation for the Senators heading into this season? I mean, it's definitely a show-me season that DJ Smith and his staff have had two years of minimal expectations of we would like to see you play some of the younger guys and get good performances out of them. I think this past season, he showed that he could learn, right? That he started the year by playing pretty much as many veterans as he could get into the lineup. And very quickly was like, you know what? It would be a better team if I got these guys out. Because I know, yeah, on Silver 7, among the staff in the articles in the comments we were all up in arms about the fact that he wasn't playing any of the young players four games into the season Mm -hmm. um but yeah the problem is that this coming year it's not going to be enough to just say who do you play it's also going to matter how they play so yeah i don't know i mean this is definitely a comment i've heard from you that i agree with that there are no good NHL coaches Yes, absolutely. that in the end, every NHL coach is going to have their weird biases. They're going to have their favorites. I think in someone like John Cooper, I look at as probably as close as you can get to a coach who consistently makes good decisions. I would say trots too. Yeah, that's true. But then I also look and I say, really, does having Matt Martin and yeah, Cal Clutterbuck exactly. and Leo Komarov and Casey Sezikis in your lineup <laughs> scream good coach? I don't know. Yeah, and DJ Smith will have the guys that he likes that, just like Ibushi, we signed or traded for players that he coached before, either in Toronto or in the OHL. I'm not, I'm not sure if he's the coach to get them over the, over the hump, that if he's the kind of guy that should be the coach of this team when they're ready to compete, and I guess this season will show it. Um, the blocking the interview of Jack Capuano was very surprising to me. I'm not sure what the logic behind that was that maybe, I mean, maybe DJ Smith is really happy with his coaching staff and didn't want anything messing with that. But it seems like it's pretty rare that teams uh, say no to potential promotions for their, their assistant staff. So I don't know that kind of, it seems like the kind of thing that would give the Sens bad vibes, you know, out there that it's like, yeah, you can sign as an assistant in Ottawa, but they're not likely to let you interview somewhere else if you get an offer for a head coach job. Yeah. And it is quite strange. I mean, I don't know. Are they that worried about losing Jack Capuano on the, on the coaching staff? I mean, you know, like you said, perhaps they really like him and Smith likes working with him. And I'm, I'm, I mean, I sure, I'm sure they do, work well together and all that but I don't know Capuano obviously I'm, I'm sure would prefer to be a head coach somewhere and so yeah it does seem kind of I don't know slimy I guess to 
not let him interview. Like it wasn't even, they weren't even offering him, him the position. It was just um, for an interview. And I forget who it was, but somebody on Twitter was saying that Ottawa has been doing this a lot. Um, so it's not this, like this isn't the first time that this has happened. And to be fair, like other organizations have done this as well. Like they've blocked, you know, assistant GMs and whatnot, but still it's, when you look at it from Capuano's perspective, it's not that great, right? Like this is a guy that probably wants to move up. Um, you know, even if it is Buffalo, I'm sure he would prefer to be a head coach rather than an assistant. So I, I think it's like they, okay. They know that Smith has one year left on his contract and I'm similar to you. I think he's, I think he's been fine, but I don't know. This coming season will be a real test. And I think like, if they're near the bottom of the league around Christmas, January, something like that, they could potentially fire him. And then they have Capuano right there, kind of like they did with Boucher and Mark Crawford. You know, they just have a, a guy that's been there before. And then maybe the following season, they could maybe promote Troy Mann um, because he seems like the likely successor if Smith doesn't do well this season. Um, and I think I'd slightly prefer Mann long term but again like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be saying that smith should be fired right now like i'd, I'd like to give him a chance and see how he does this year but i don't know like if i'm smith i can't be feeling that comfortable right now because i know that okay capuano is right here and troy man is probably this you know shiny toy that the entire fan base wants and probably even the organization might quietly want as well so I'm sure he doesn't feel that great with just one year left on his contract. Oh, I'm sure. Smith is a smart enough guy to realize that not having an extension right now means that he could not be extended. And if you're a first-time NHL coach, you're probably thinking, if I don't get extended with this team, it's at least an audition so that I can be a new coach somewhere else. That... I can turn this into getting into that recycling bin of NHL coaches <laughs> that get pushed around from team to team every time there's a firing. And yeah, it's uh it would be worrisome. He's probably also aware of the fact that it's been a long time since Ascend's head coach was let go and found a head coaching job somewhere else that Jacques Martin is the last one, right? Yes, I know. I've, I've that, said that before too. That's insane. Yeah, that no one else has got a... <laughs> Yeah, that has got a head coaching job since him, which, yeah, is crazy. Um, so I'm sure he's aware of that fact as well. It seems funny because that logic makes sense to me of keeping around Capuano just in case they have to let Smith go and have a guy who can step in. But also, the way I does this do the Sens really look at Capuano as a guy who's going to turn the team around? Yeah, I don't know. Because he doesn't have the best NHL track record, and he doesn't seem to have done anything amazing with this team so far. Like It seems like to me that if you're firing DJ Smith, there's two situations you can be in. One is that it's late in the year, you've definitely not met expectations, or even like mid-season, and you're not met expectations. And that's kind of the Crawford situation, mm -hmm. that you let the coach go and you have a guy to step in and just get the team over the finish line disappointingly. And if that's the case, then it almost doesn't matter who that coach is because you're not bringing them back as the head coach. Yeah, It's just a guy to finish out the stretch. 
The other option is that the Sens think that they can be way better than they are under DJ Smith. And you do one of those mid-season firings that you, you're like, maybe we'll find our Craig Berube or our, uh, Dan Bilesma, who we hire in the middle of the season and will take us all the way to a Stanley <laughs> Cup. Um, but if you're doing that, it's not Jack Capuana that you're bringing in to be that coach. Yeah. So I don't know. It just, it almost seems just like a, we don't have a plan. So we're just going to hold on to every possible piece that we have in the hopes that if we decide this is what we need, we still have it. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like, you know, just holding on to their bullets, I guess. Um, yeah. Now, but I do agree with you about Troy man that yeah. he is the heir apparent. If DJ Smith doesn't seem to be, the NHL coach of the senators for the next three, four years. And he does seem to have been a very good coach that he came in very highly touted from Hershey and he's done good things with Belleville. He seems to have made good decisions in general. And I mean, he's got a lot out of, if you look at a guy like Josh Norris, that he adapted from college to the AHL to the NHL pretty well. And a lot of that should probably go to the coach that helped prepare him to do that. Certainly. And and like we said, if all coaches are going to have their biases and make bad decisions, I would prefer to have a coach whose biases are towards the guys who are now prospects for his NHL team, as opposed to guys who were prospects for other NHL teams that we now have to go out and trade for. That's a great point that I've never heard anyone actually articulate. Um, yeah, because all of DJ's former guys are, you know, <laughs> you know, Josh Brown, he coached in Windsor, right? Like a decade ago or whatever it was. So, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. man is... is very comfortable with all these young guys, like the most important players on the team. So yeah, l let me just ask you the next time the senators make the playoffs, who's the head coach. The next time the senators make the playoffs, I'm going to say that the head coach is Troy Mann. Mm. Let's go with that. All right. All right. I'm going to say that the Sens fall a little bit short this coming year. DJ Smith doesn't necessarily get fired, but he doesn't get extended. And then Troy Mann becomes the new coach that leads them there. I wouldn't hate that. Wouldn't hate that. And then just I wouldn't either. Yeah. <laughs> Final question for me: If you could make one move for the Senators this off season, whether it be a draft pick or acquiring a certain player or hiring somebody, like doing something off ice, anything really related to the organization, what would that be? I, huh? If I could make one change, I think I would want to. Uh, see, this is hard because I would say that I'd probably want to change the GM, but I don't have a great idea of the guy that I'd want. Right. I feel like Pierre Dorian's background is scouting, amateur scouting. He has put together, you know, Trent Mann and on the smallest of budgets, he's put together a very good scouting staff that the Sens somehow keep finding gems in the later rounds that other teams are not picking up on the same way. And so he's done everything he was supposed to do as GM with his team, which is tear it down, get the draft picks, stock the cupboards. I don't know how much confidence I have in him to move forward, that their pro scouting does not seem to have been good. Most of the trades they've made for NHL players have been like the Good Bransons and Austin Watsons and stuff. Guys that, you know, I feel like a casual hockey fan could say, you probably shouldn't be giving up anything for one of these guys. Yeah. Like I can see you taking it as a cap casualty, Step but on. yeah, exactly that, you know, they clearly wanted out from Stepout's contract. Why are you the one giving up the second round pick? Yeah. And so 
but who is the guy that you bring in to replace him and yeah make it a make it a good team who knows yeah i'm i mean my answer would be similar just like bring in a president of hockey operations right like a guy who oh yeah maybe a former gm right like somebody that is yeah. maybe i mean title wise is like overseeing dorian but you know yeah. is more of just a figurehead and can kind of put their their input on on well, things i just feel like another voice is voice in the room is so important yeah, I was going to say, what about just ex- greatly expanding the budget for the management side Absolutely. so that they have more pro scouts that <laughs> yes. Dorian isn't the guy who's overseeing everything that I know it was a couple years ago, but that Garriott casually let it slip that Dorian wasn't out of game because he was in Sweden scouting prospects. Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, that shouldn't be the job of the GM. Yeah, like, insane. it's one thing if there's, if the projected number one pick is a Swedish guy, maybe you want to see him in person. But your GM shouldn't be the one doing the day-to-day scouting. You should have scouts who do that. Yeah, and and you're right. It's it's especially the pro scouting. Not I don't really have much of a problem with the amateur scouting, even though they got some weird picks. But you know, I'm I'm fine with it. But pro scouting is just not good. I feel like their amateur scouting pans out more than most NHL teams. Like yeah. even the guys who reach, you know, things like Levi Marilinen that we're all like, no one's heard of this guy. He's on nobody's mm-hmm. draft board. And then he had a very good year in Finland. And yes, it wasn't the highest quality, but it was, oh, how did they know that this guy was going to suddenly start playing at a level that would at least make fans notice him? Yeah, yeah. And it's <laughs> it seems like they hit on on quite a few players, um, even if they're not always you know, the, the highest end players, but in terms of finding NHL talent, they've been quite good at that. So, um, yeah, we can, I think we can wrap it up there, but before we go, Ross, is there anything you'd like to plug? Um, nothing that specific. I mean, people should still read silver seven cents, silver seven cents.com. I write there maybe once a month. So don't read for me, read for people who (laughs) do a lot more analysis and watch more games and have more insightful things to say. Um, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at sheer underscore Rossiness, Rossiness, R-O-S-S-Y-N-E-S-S, um, for sometimes hockey and sometimes very not hockey things. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks again for coming on, Ross. It's always fun. Thanks, Trevor. It's, yeah, it has been fun. As I wrap it up, reminder that you can find the Cosper Pointcast on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. And if you really enjoy it, you can rate and review the podcast on those platforms as well. You can follow me on Twitter at ShackTS, read my articles at silver 7 Sends, and also follow my YouTube channel called The Hockey Shack. If you want to submit a listener question for an upcoming episode, send me a message at cppointcast on Twitter where you'll get any updates about the show. Thanks for listening. Adios. Adios.